Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. We're looking at the letters written by Jesus himself to the seven churches as we read in Revelations, the last book in the Bible, Colin. We've looked at the letter to the church in Ephesus, the letter to the church in Smyrna. We're going to look at the letter to the church in Pergamum today. And by the way, do any of these churches still exist today, do we know? Well, not certainly not in any way like they did then. Um, uh, you know, there, there are bodies of believers in Asia Minor. But um, this was, uh, of course, a, a very fertile um, area for evangelism in the first century. Paul, of course, traveled around the churches in, in Asia Minor. It serves as a warning to us. It doesn't matter how much a church has prospered in the past. It's what happens in the present that matters. And as I said at the beginning of the week, I'm not so concerned to... Um, talk about what these uh, the situation of these churches then but what god is saying to the church today through these letters because i believe you know the word of god is contemporary it's always contemporary there's a historic uh, um, context in which it was written and to which these letters are addressed but what concerns me is not that we understand everything that happened then but we understand what god is saying to us now you mentioned at the beginning of the week that all these letters were written to the angels of the churches. And you suggested that there are angels that look after all of God's churches. Even well, today. yes, but they're letters from the Spirit. The Spirit is speaking to his church today, and we need to we need to take note of what the Holy Spirit is saying, because if we don't, then we're going to miss the purposes of God. So these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. Now, uh, I said that at the beginning of each of these letters, we are given a further revelation, a particular revelation of some characteristic of God himself. He is the one with the double-edged sword. What is the double-edged sword? It is the word of God. Um, it's the eternal word of God. He is the one who speaks and no one can confound what God says. He speaks the words of truth. He brought all creation into being by what he says. So he says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Now, this is, uh, I mean, uh, we can get into all kinds of interesting things here, which I'm trying to avoid doing. But uh, it, it tells us one thing uh, about the enemy. The enemy has his throne in a place on earth. He, he is not everywhere present like God is. He is just a fallen spirit, fallen angel. And he set up his throne then in, in this place, Pergamum. So from this place, in this place, there would have been much evil. I mean, for the church to exist where Satan had his throne would be a particular challenge. Um, now, I've traveled many parts of the world to preach the gospel. And in some places, it's a lot more difficult than others. 
you everybody says, oh, you know, if, if you knew what it was like to live here, it's so difficult to preach the gospel here. Well, I, let me tell you, if you've traveled extensively as I have, you know that that's really not true, that God is always greater than the place. But there are certain areas where there's a lot of oppression, opposition spiritually, not, not just from men, but spiritually. And sometimes it, it feels like trying to preach the gospel through treacle, you know. You're, uh, it, it, there is so such a spirit of heaviness that you have to pray, you have to really uh, believe God to see a breakthrough. But the wonderful thing is that when you do trust God in those situations, you see the breakthrough, and you see God breaking through and the Spirit of God moving, and that makes it even more rewarding, really. So can we assume from this that there is somewhere in the world today where Satan has his throne? Yes, but I'm not going to get into speculation as to where that is. <laughs> so, uh, you remain true to my name. This is what uh, This is what the Lord is saying to this church. You remain true to my name. Here in the place where Satan has his throne, where there is, if you like, the greatest oppression and opposition imaginable, yet you, my people, remain true to my name. The name, of course, denoting the person. They remain true to Jesus. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. I mean, this is God speaking. He says, Satan has set up his throne in your city. Satan actually lives. This is his headquarters. But despite that, you have remained true to my name. And even when there was such opposition that one of the faithful witnesses was killed, yet still you persevered. But nevertheless, you see, God wants to strengthen them by bringing correction where it's necessary. I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. And likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, let's just take that warning at the end. What, what, what's he saying? There are things going on because of the oppression, because of the opposition. Some of the influence of Satan has got within the life of the church. Now, God, therefore, calls the church to repent. And he's saying, if you do not, I will come and I will move against you myself. Why? Because judgment begins with the household of God. Uh, if we are going to preach the gospel to the nation, then we must expect God to refine us, to correct us, as well as to empower us so that we are not hypocritical in what we're saying, but we are demonstrating the message which we preach and proclaim. So uh, here God is saying, well, he, he's mentioning a, a number of things, really, but I think in our contemporary society, perhaps the most 
obvious of these is the sexual immorality. Now, let me just say something about this because uh, throughout the New Testament, this is a phrase that is repeated, sexual immorality, without defining exactly and precisely what that is. For example, later in the book of Revelation, right towards the end, uh, Jesus is saying that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what does he mean by the sexually immoral? Well, he means using your sexuality in any way that is not right in God's eyes. So he doesn't focus, target any particular group of people. He's saying any sexual activity that is outside of God's purpose is sexual immorality. And that is because the the gift of our sexuality is a wonderful gift from God. He created us, uh, and actually, in that creation, we procreate. We continue his creation through this sexual activity, through this sexual gift. So not only is it a wonderful and enjoyable gift, but it has a purpose that God's creation is continued uh, because of this gift. Therefore, it is seen as something that is sacred and holy and not to be abused and misused and missed out of context. Now, I don't have to sit here and spell out what that means because the Holy Spirit does that. When a person is really seeking after God and seeking after the truth, I have found in my experience with thousands and thousands of people over the years that one of the things that they always find that they have to repent of in coming to Christ is any sexual activity in their lives that was outside the purpose of God. And they just realize that somehow that sexual immorality has made them unclean before God. And they need to be forgiven and they need to be cleansed. And when they're born again, when a person is born again, one of the things that happens is that he realizes that his sexuality must be used in the right way, within the context uh, that God has intended, within the context of marriage. So uh, that is something that the Holy Spirit works in people's lives. And we don't have to sit in judgment upon any group of people that indulge in sexual immorality. That is not our job. What we do is to preach the gospel, knowing that the Holy Spirit will convict people of their sin when they have a hunger after the truth and a real desire to know God and to experience His saving grace in their lives. You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 